Well, good morning, church family. It is my joy to bring you some warm greetings on this Thanksgiving weekend, and I trust that you are enjoying yourselves. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful. I'm thankful for the work that God uh, is doing around us. I'm thankful for uh, blessings in my life. I'm thankful for uh, God's strength in our trials. I'm thankful for relationships, uh, just the partners that the Lord gives us uh, in the journey. And I, I think it would be appropriate for me just to say how thankful I am for my family. I'm thankful for my dear wife, Amy, and our, our boys, Grant and Max, that, you know, there's something about having kids that they, they just kind of remind us of the wonder of life and learning and adventure. And, uh, and we laugh a lot uh, and just enjoy uh, our family. And so I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord for that. I'm, I'm thankful for our church family. Um, you know, I'm thankful for each of you and the unique ways in which God is working as, as, as He is unfolding your story uh, and His story in your life. Um, it's really a beautiful thing for us to be a part of. And so for all of that and so much more, uh, we're very, very thankful for the ways in which God is working in this season. Hey, today we're going to begin a new series. Uh, we are going to be going into a new series for the Advent season, and the theme is called Simple Christmas. Uh, today, or, or this year, we're going to kind of take our time getting to the Nativity, uh, because I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of things that God was doing in, uh, you know, Luke chapter 2 is where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But there's a lot that God is doing leading up to that. And so we're going to take some time before we get to shepherds and angels, before we get to Christmas stars and magi coming from the east. Uh, we're going to get there, but we're not going to rush it. We're going to take some time to get there. Uh, also, you know, as we go through this series, uh, you may be encouraged to observe uh, with me how so many of the people in these stories had a Christmas experience in which they were significantly dealing without. They were, they were going through life, but they were having to follow the Lord in obedience, oftentimes not having all of the comforts and all of the things that they otherwise would probably have wanted. And uh, I think that's timely for us in a season that we continues to be marked by disruption and we're making adjustments on a regular basis. So simple Christmas is the theme that we're going to be going into today. Uh, if you have your Bibles and as you turn to Luke chapter 1, let me tell you about a man by the name of Bernie Krause. Uh, for the past quarter century, Bernie Krause has traveled the world capturing sounds of creatures and environments large and small. So his company, which is called Wild Sanctuary, has produced 50 environmental record albums and created what they call environmental sound sculptures for museums and zoos and aquaria and, and other public spaces. I don't know if any of those albums made it to the top uh, 10 list or whatever, but this is what he does. Uh, he writes something very interesting. He says, this is Bernie Krause speaking. Uh, he says, in 1968, when I first began my odyssey, he said, I could record for about 15 hours and capture about one hour of usable sound. That would just be sound that wouldn't be polluted by mechanics or chainsaws or, or airplanes or whatever. So it took about 15 hours to capture one hour of sound. He said now it nearly takes, it takes nearly 2,000 hours to obtain one hour 
of untainted natural sound. He wrote that back in 2002. So now, nearly 20 years later, I would guess that the ratio has probably not swung back in the other direction. He, he writes about the loss of our natural soundscapes. And in fact, his quote that caught my attention was, he said, the divine music seems to be growing dim. The divine music is growing dim. Well, what's the point? The reason I share this with you this morning is that we seem to be drowning out the gift of solitude and the gift of silence and the gift of kind of the natural world around us with ever increasing noise. I don't know if you've experienced that or maybe you're experiencing that even now with so much that clamors for our attention. But today, in the spirit of simple Christmas, I want to uh, invite you to embrace silence and embrace solitude in a message that I am calling Talk Less. Uh, Luke chapter 1 begins uh, by introducing to us Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is in the time of King Herod in Judea, and uh, Zechariah, we understand, was a priest. And his wife Elizabeth also came from the line of Aaron, the, the, the Levite line as well. So she has ties to this priestly line as well. We read in the first verses of Luke 1 that they're, they're noted as honorable and, and righteous people. They're a couple that is God-fearing and that loves the Lord. But we also learn about them that they are acquainted with some loss. They're acquainted with hardship. They've understood kind of that, that loss of hope deferred, specifically in the fact that they've never had a family. Uh, we can assume from the writing that they desired to have children, but now they're older, uh, and in their old age, they have assumed that that uh, is not going to be for them. Uh, little did they know, as we read on in Luke chapter 1, what we're going to see. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 8 and following, that's where we'll pick up today, and we'll be focusing on this section through about verse 25 today. So Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 8 says, Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, remember he was one of the priests, when his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Uh, you can actually get a, a really sort of special picture of this if you watch the Nativity Story. It was a movie that came out in 2006 and, and captured the events leading up uh, to and including the birth of Jesus. Uh, very, very beautifully uh, done movie. Uh, and so you can see this, this idea of, of what is happening outside the temple with these worship and, and prayer uh, being offered by the people. But Zechariah is chosen by lot to go inside the temple. Uh, Zechariah is part of uh, the priestly division, which was divided into 24 different groups. Uh, each of those groups was called to do the priestly duties two weeks out of the year. And so now Zechariah's division is on duty and he is chosen by lot. And of course, it's interesting to see how God's sovereignty plays out even in this. He is chosen to carry the incense into the temple and offer prayers on behalf of the Israelite people. So worship and prayer is happening outside, but inside the temple, something very special is happening. This is the first recorded visit of God to his people 
in over 400 years. And I want to, I want to, now that we've set the stage, I'd like to, I'd like to move into this idea of 400 years of waiting. God is never in a hurry. And that's one of the things that we see so beautifully unfold as we read scripture. And, and my life, your life tends to get pretty hectic, tends to get kind of noisy, tends to get sort of crowded. But we see this picture in our Heavenly Father of a God who's never in a hurry. He's, he's right on time. Uh, the reason that we're talking about 400 years of waiting, and you might say, well, wait a second, Zechariah was clearly not waiting for 400 years for a child. I mean, the man was probably in his 60s or 70s or something like that at this time. But what we're referring to when we say this is the 400 years of silence that marks the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. Uh, if you were to roughly categorize this, you know, you'd have about 16 different generations. And I want you to think about this for a moment. 400 years of waiting. 16 generations means that you could have been born into one of those generations with, with no living relatives to tell about the firsthand accounts of God's people with Him. And then your kids and their kids and their kids may have that same sort of quiet experience. You'd be long dead having lived and died in waiting. 16 generations is a long time. 400 years is a long time, especially when you think about the fact that our country is not even 300 years old. So when, when we think about that from that perspective, uh, it's pretty significant how long 400 years is before we've seen uh, the impact of God engaging with His people. Galatians 4 reads this way. It says, We were children enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Uh, verse 4 of Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And this is actually exactly what we see happening right here. Zechariah is faithfully carrying out the law and, and doing the things over hundreds of years that his people have been called to do, but not having that intimate interaction with God until this day. Read with me what happens now in verse 11. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I want you to see in this sort of 400 years of waiting, now coming to this encounter with God, this angelic visit uh, to this priest saying, you are going to have a son. Your prayer has been heard. And I want you to see this morning, church, that this is essentially a threefold meaning response. First of all, Zechariah is interceding for his people Israel. That's what he is doing in this activity of worship and prayer right now. God is about to intervene. And so the angel is saying, yes, your prayer has been heard. But even on a different level, we can assume Zechariah and Elizabeth have no doubt prayed for a family. 
Uh, I would imagine that probably in their younger years, this was a hope and a desire for them. That hope again was deferred. They were not able to have a family of their own. But now, long after they thought that window perhaps had closed, they're hearing your prayer has been heard. God is about to intervene. Not only are they going to have a family, they're going to have a child of their own, but this child is going to have a special call on his life. Church, I don't want you to miss this because it's so significant what the angel says next. In verse 16, he says, speaking of this child that is yet to come, he said, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. That's great. He will go on before the Lord. He will be the forerunner, right? He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and to the, dis- and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, if you know the life of John the Baptist, you know that's exactly what he grows up to do, that he is the one that is, that is calling people and getting them ready for Jesus Christ who would come to be the Messiah. Um, but I, I don't want you to miss this because I think these, these verses are so significant. And, and, and you wouldn't note this unless you go back to the end of the Old Testament. And if you read the last prophetic book of the Old Testament, which is the book of Malachi, the last chapter and the last verses of that. So this is the last utterance that God brings through the prophet Malachi, reads this way. He says, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet before that great and awesome day of the Lord. He's going to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the children, hearts of their children to their fathers. See, the, the exact things that Malachi was referring to 400 long years ago are the exact things that this angelic pronouncement are addressing. You're going to have a son who is going to do all these things. God is right on time. He hasn't lost his way. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't gotten sidetracked. He has literally picked up right where he left off. So don't miss the significance of this pronouncement from the angel. Now, verse uh, 18 reads this way. We're going we're gonna to move into now what I, what I believe is, is a vitally important part of this passage for us today. Uh, Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. He knows some basic biology. We weren't planning to have kids this late in our lives. Uh, How can I be sure that what you're saying is true? Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak with you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, there's a lot to digest in this passage, but I want to talk about the gift of silence. When we look at Zechariah's life, we see now in this interaction both a sign and a promise. The response of the angel is is twofold. Yes, he does rebuke Zechariah for his lack of belief or inability, perhaps maybe would be a better way to say it, inability to believe uh, in some ways what he's saying. But the very act of what he does in plunging him now into a season of silence 
is actually a promise that this action will only last until the promise is fulfilled. So Zechariah can't speak. Immediately he loses his ability to speak, and some translators wonder if he was able to speak or hear because the words uh, for being mute and being deaf are actually one and the same. But we know that he cannot talk. And this interaction goes on for some time because the, the Luke 1 continues to say that the people were waiting for Zechariah outside. They're wondering what was going on. When he comes out, he can't tell them what happened. So he's sort of plunged in this inability to speak, and they realize that he had had some kind of encounter. They said he must have seen a vision in the temple because he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. Luke 1 goes on to tell us that uh, after this time was completed, he goes home. Uh, His wife does become pregnant, in fact, and so they are on their way to experiencing the reality of what the angel had pronounced to them. But the entire time, up until the birth of the child, Zechariah is gifted with silence. I've taken some time to to just ponder this and and to think about uh, what that must have been like to experience God in that way and in that season. And and yet it strikes me that any time that God is going to do something big and any time that we see in Scripture when when He's calling people to join Him in that work, there is often a discipline of silence, often accompanied by solitude, talk less, listen, and ask, what is God doing in this season? When you think about the call on John's life, this baby who would come, and you think about how significant Zechariah and Elizabeth's role would be in raising him and hearing from the Lord what it was that that they were to impart to him. And we're going to see later on down the road the blessing that is imparted from the Father to the child. But I would imagine that throughout these many months of silence, there was a lot of space in Zechariah's life to ponder the things of God. The reason I think this is really significant significant for us is that I think the greatest lament that I hear from average, everyday Christians, just like you and me, is a sense of distance or difficulty in hearing God's voice. When I think about my younger brothers and sisters uh, in the faith, one of the biggest challenges that they seem to report is this idea of being alone or being still or being quiet. Now, I think with a little bit of discipline and a little bit of understanding, God may have something for us in this because you and I, I mean, let's face it, we are in a world that is surrounded by noise. Uh, even, even just, you, you look at, at, at data that would suggest, you know, <laughs> I, I was reading something recently, it said that data interactions per person worldwide, when you compare how many emails and, and uh, how, much, how many things in your Twitter feed, uh, how many just digital interactions a person has per person in a day, in 2010 was about 298 interactions per day, which to me actually sounds pretty high. But they predict that by 2025, the average person will be encountering just under 5,000 digital interactions on a daily basis. We live in a world of noise. 
According to Media Research, the average consumer today spends 4.5 hours per day on digital entertainment. A lot of that is TV or streaming or whatever. And I find it interesting that we're not even listed as people in this study, but as consumers. We live in a world of noise. There's probably a hundred examples you can think of in your own life of the things that vie for your attention as soon as you wake up in the morning. Uh, you know, I, I almost always have my, my cell phone on me, this little noise box that always wants to alert me to something new, another email that I need to check, another uh, headline that I need to read, etc. But this is part of the world we live in. I remember several years ago, I was talking to a, a, a student on campus. He was a relatively new believer, uh, was just finishing up his graduate work at Penn State University. And he came to me and he said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to kind of get disciplined in my new walk with the Lord. He was excited about walking with Jesus, but he said, I've really come to the conclusion that I need to make some changes because uh, one of the things I've, I've really been invested in is gaming. And I said, okay, well, you do some gaming. He said, well, no, I do a lot of gaming. He said, over the last five years, he said, I probably have averaged eight hours of gaming every day. And I thought to myself and said to him, that's a full-time job. And if you're talking about weekends as well, that's a full-time job plus overtime that you are, you are committing to. He goes, right. He said, that's what I'm realizing. I'm giving my whole life to this kind of thing. Now, I did also mention to him that if he's able to do all of that and get his graduate degree, either his course of study is not that hard or maybe he has a lot of capacity, but spend your time and your energy on things that matter. And that's exactly where his heart was in that season. He said, I don't want to just give my life to noise. And so we began talking about the discipline of solitude, the discipline of silence. And, and what you quickly realize, if you are a student of the life of Christ, you begin to realize that Jesus practiced silence and solitude all the time. So it shouldn't surprise us that when God was doing something significant in Zechariah's life that he would say, listen, I'm going to actually put you in a position where you can't talk and you can't interact. How much more important maybe for us to embrace the discipline of solitude and silence? We see this in Jesus' life when he was preparing for big tasks. You know, right after Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days praying in the wilderness. After he was tempted by Satan, then he began his public ministry. So right at the cusp of that, you see Jesus practicing silence and solitude. You see Jesus recharging after hard work, after he sent out his 12 disciples to do the ministry, they return. He encouraged them to separate from the people. He says, you've got to get away. You've got to be quiet. So he was teaching them to do the same thing. When he was working through grief, uh, when, when this little baby grows up to be a powerful minister, John is killed uh, and beheaded later in his life. When Jesus gets this news, it says he was, he was grieved in his spirit and he took time for solitude and for silence to work through that grief. When Jesus was making important decisions, we can read about uh, when he called uh, the disciples to himself. He spent the whole night before that in prayer and in solitude. Uh, we see it in times of distress, like in the, the, the Garden of Geth Gethsemane before Jesus went uh, out to, to the cross. Uh, we see that he is praying at the Mount of Olives, uh, and he's praying with his disciples, asking them to be with him. We see Jesus focusing on prayer throughout his ministry many times. Luke uh, chapter 5 tells us many times Jesus was withdrawn from the crowds so that he could focus on prayer. So 
I'm asking you to consider as we begin this season of welcoming the Advent uh, season and time, to consider silence and solitude as a part of your life. One person asked the question this way, is there any connection between the noise in my life and the difficulty that I sometimes have in hearing the voice of God? Silence, solitude, prayer. It's a good way for us to begin the Advent season. And so I actually have an early Christmas gift for you. If you're watching this video today, uh, stay tuned for a second because I have an early Christmas gift that I think will be a blessing to you. And so I would like to give you this gift. You sit tight and, uh, and I will, I'll get it for you. 